If you just said, can you pull out like a John Mayer song, I'd be ready. Yeah, I'm performance right. ready. I'm not even a big John Mayer fan. I actually am. Well, like two albums. Oh, yeah. Well, that's something. I like Continuum and I like the live, Where the Light Is album. Oh, yeah. That's a really good album. Like. Yeah. He's fine. Like he's, I like a lot of his songs. Yeah, it just got a bit country for me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else there. <laughs> he's just, he just a- got a bit country <laughs> Tree. for me. <laughs> Ooh. What, okay. if, what if the um, what if the um, theme song came over after? I was like, he just got a bit cunt. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. Hilarious. Let's tell our editor to do that. He just got a bit cunt. Josephine. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? I'm quite well. Uh, my feet are cold. Oh, do you want to borrow socks? No. My feet are really dirty because I came straight from renovating my house to do this. So they're like covered in tile grout. Yum. Yep. Yummy. That's hot. That's hot. It is As hot. Paris Hilton used to say. How do you... Don't you remember like when Paris Hilton and... um. What was the other one? Nicole Richie. Nicole Richie. Had yeah. like the simple life and stuff. I never watched it. I mean, I don't really, but like it was You're a much big trashier thing. than I am. <laughs> well, this is true. <laughs> I used to watch a lot of reality television. I don't really watch it anymore. No, you watch like OG reality stuff. Yeah, I was like really into like The Hills and yeah. um, Orange Orange County or whatever that. Well, that wasn't that just a soap? The OC. Oh, no. Is that what you're the real. About? What was the, the uh, reality show? As if I know. Laguna Beach. It was set in Orange County. Laguna Beach. The Hills was a spin-off of Laguna Beach. Oh, you're like a proper trashy person. Correct. And then I even watched, there was a spin-off of The Hills called The City, which was set in New York. And I was so obsessed with New York that I would just watch reality shows that were set there. Well, I mean, but I would just watch Sex in the City. Yeah. Like that's how you become obsessed with New York. Absolutely. Oh, that show. As they say, it's the fifth character on Sex in the <laughs> City. God, I hate everyone anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. Ruth hates something. Yeah. I do. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to actively hate things that aren't musical theatre. You, but you will stick to your guns and you will love everything that is musical theatre. Not everything. Oh, one day I will get. I you like to, to admit. find the positives. Yeah, that's a really lovely quality about you, actually. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, a way to have a sound effect for this moment. Okay. Oh, because that's something that I like, and I like you. I like you. Ooh. I don't. I've I've been told I'm not allowed to have percussion. <laughs> By your husband. Yeah. <laughs> Only Josephine is. Ouch. Bit of favouritism going on. Look, can't help it. Okay, so what's on the agenda? Uh, do you have a spotlight? I do. Mine's a bit of a different one. Okay. I've decided to talk about a performer, which I haven't done yet. Okay. By the way, before we go any further, this yeah. is my favourite musical, oh, the podcast. Oh, yes. Hello. We forgot that bit. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is my favourite musical, the, the podcast. <laughs> For your ears. Uh, yes, that's it. Josephine's going to talk about a spotlight on a musical theatre artist of colour. And after I do, do that, you'll week. hear from Ruth. <laughs> yes, that's Josephine. I'm Ruth. <laughs> We're recording the podcast. Oh, God. We'll get better. Yeah. So, yeah, a bit of a different one for me. Today is going to be a performer. I want to talk about Cynthia Erivo. Well, of course. Of course. So... We've mentioned her actually quite a few times here on the pod. Because she's everything. She is everything. For those who don't know, she's just a powerhouse of a performer. She's one step away from the EGOT. She's got an Emmy, a Grammy and a Tony. She's just waiting on an Oscar. She's just waiting on an Oscar. And she's even been nominated. I know, which is pretty cool. So um, 
She's got the Emmy, the Grammy and the Tony all for her work as Seely in The Colour Purple. She won the Emmy for it? Yeah. What for? I don't know. Oh, I'll look it up while you talk. Maybe something to do. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, look it up. Yeah. Um, she's sensational. Oh my gosh. She was also what I didn't know. Cause I've, I've always loved her as a performer and I like, cause I love her in the color purple. She was amazing in the Harriet Tubman film, but also loved her as, um, Holly Gibney in the outsider that I've mentioned before the Stephen King. Yeah. Tell me you've got the answer. Not quite yet. Keep okay. Talking. Um, anyway, I, what I didn't know is that she was part of the foundational group for um, the people who founded Black Theatre United. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know how there were lots and lots of people who founded it. She was sort of part of the inner circle of that happening. Right. Yeah, she so doesn't have an Emmy. She doesn't. She must be half of way through an ego. No, that's not what I found. Oh. According it... to Wikipedia, she doesn't. No, that can't be true. Okay, well, anyway, she's close to an EGOT. She's got a Tony and a Grammy. Yeah. I both that's from pretty good. Sealy. Yeah. Oh. And she has a nomination. She has two Academy Award nominations. Did she get an Emmy for The Outsider then? Maybe she's been nominated. No, these are normally pretty up to date. Yeah, oh, they she are. has. Sorry. She's won a daytime Emmy. Oh, there you go. Which it must is still have been a Emmy. performance on something. Must it must have been, been like her performing on. Um... So she is just one step away. Yeah. Ooh. They do count daytime Emmys normally. For yeah, the, they do. Yeah. The EGOT. Um, so, yeah, what I, I didn't know that she was part of the Black Theatre United yeah. group and mainly because, like, so she's British. There was even, like, when she was cast as Harriet Tubman, there was a bit of outcry that maybe a, an African-American should have played ah. instead of a British um, person. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm definitely not qualified to talk about that. But what I do know is that she's quite outspoken about um, Black Lives Matter yeah. and, and sort of like um, lifting people of colour in the arts. She was really vocal this year after being the only person of colour nominated for an Oscar in any of the acting categories. Yeah, ridiculous. The only person. Yeah. Like, what the actual fuck? Yeah. Because it's... I mean, it's not like these performers don't exist and nope. aren't doing incredible, important work. Exactly. It's not like they don't deserve to be nominated. Why on earth was she the only one? Yeah. I thought that was disgusting. So did she. Yeah, she won the Daytime Emmy in 2017 for Outstanding Musical Performance in a Daytime Program. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for a performance from Colour Purple. Oh, yeah, so it was related to Colour yeah. Purple. Yeah, cool. She must have been on like a, a TV show, like the yeah. Today Show or something. Yeah. She's really, she's really amazing. She's very articulate. There's yeah. actually a video um, on YouTube, which I can probably link, that it's, it's almost like a TED talk. She does maybe two or three songs and she talks between each of them and she's really articulate. Okay. She do, one of them that she does is I'm Here from Colour Purple. Yeah. And um, oh, she's just really, she's very graceful and, and beautiful and um, a really amazing actress. I will never, like seeing her in Colour Purple is literally, I'm not a religious person. It's like the closest I've felt to like wow. going to church yeah. and like having a religious experience. Like honestly, it's, like it was insane. Yeah, I'm like you. I don't necessarily identify that way, but she's the closest I can imagine grace. Do you know yeah, what I mean? That yeah. idea of grace. Like yeah. she, yeah, anyway. That's Cynthia Erivo. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. What have you got for our spotlight um, today? So I've actually got, well, one quick little one. Tell me. Um, and then a longer one. One is just an Instagram account that I'm going to link to that I suggest everyone follows, which is called um, Black Women on Broadway. Ooh. And it's a really good Instagram account where they just basically like post video clips and um, interviews and things like that. And they'll often do like Instagram takeovers and things like that, but basically just highlighting um 
female artists of colour that are working on Broadway. Cool. Um, it's really good. So we'll link to that. I'm going to follow it right now. Excellent. Um, the other – mine is also a performer, actually, Ooh. this week. Um, I want to talk about Peppermint. Yes. So Peppermint um, – um, some of you may have heard of is an, you know, an actress, a singer, she's a drag queen, um, she's an activist. Um, many people would have known her as the runner-up on season nine of Drag Race, um, RuPaul's Drag, RuPaul's Race. drag Race. If you yeah. watch that television show, um, she uh, came second to Sasha Velour. And she was the first contestant on Drag Race. So Peppermint is a transgender woman and she was the first person to compete on Drag Race to come out before it aired. So she wasn't necessarily out. Like, wow, really? I don't think she was necessarily out like because there's been lots of controversial things about like RuPaul saying that like no no woman will ever compete on Drag Race and stuff like that, like, some really controversial stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's like That's shit. RuPaul's very problematic but oh. <laughs> allows fracking on his property. And um, Anyway, um, but yeah, she had come out. She comes out as transgender like, like you know, um, before it's released. And in 2018, she appeared on Broadway in the musical Head Over Heels, which features the music of the Go-Go's. So, you know, oh, like cool. We Got the Beat and Heaven is a Place on Earth and like some other songs that you would know. Nice. Um, and in doing so became the first out transgender woman to appear in a lead role on Broadway. Um, and so that was quite a big deal at the time. Um, interestingly, when Ben Brantley, who's, you know, was the head theatre reviewer for the New York Times was reviewing the show. Like he didn't like the show, but he also made some really like Shitty awful comments. comments. Yeah. In the, in the review. Um, and like he misgendered Peppermint. Um, he later apologized and said that basically his comments were taken the wrong way, but it's bullshit. Um, so he basically in his review, he describes a character and I could be getting the pronunciation of some of these character names wrong, but he says, um, Pythio attend identifies as non-binary plural. Demetus, the king's viceroy and mother of father of Mopsa, finds himself strangely drawn to her. I mean them. That's what he wrote in his review. Mm. Um, anyway, so it's all a bit bullshit. But, yeah, she's amazing. Um, definitely follow her on Instagram. We're going to link to um, her account. It's peppermint247. Um, and she often does, like, really great stuff with Bob the Drag Queen, who was um, one, one of the previous seasons of Drag Race as well. Um, they'll just often do, like, Instagram lives together and yeah. stuff like that. And they're both excellent and funny and yeah. activists and just really great voices for um, people to listen to. So, yeah, that's so important. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Peppermint. I just – it was pretty groundbreaking that um, she was the first transgender woman to play a lead role on Broadway. So. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah. She's really awesome too. Like, she's so talented. Yeah. I didn't get beautiful. to – I didn't get to see Head Over Heels. I really wanted to. Yeah. Um, but it was supposed to be on at the Hayes Theatre. Oh, really? This year, obviously, because of COVID, it's been postponed, but I believe they're still planning to do it next year. That's cool. So I'm keen to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, even though it's a jukebox musical, it's got some really amazing, like, messages in it and stuff mm. like that. And I heard from a lot of people who really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, I mean, jukebox musicals have a place. Yeah, still valid. exactly. Some of them are really good. Exactly. I Like, I can, I can almost, like, like them as their own art form now. Yes. I think you almost have to compare them you to other jukeboxes. You have to separate jukeboxes. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't mind Jersey Boys. Yeah, I actually – it's funny. I've seen Jersey Boys a few times over the years and when it's good, it's very good. Yeah. I've yeah. also seen like not great performances mm. of it and been like, oh, I can see all the holes in the show. Yeah. But when it is good, it is very good. The music in that's great. Music's great. Yeah, I love Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Oh, yeah, that's that, a good that's one. That's my favourite jukebox yeah, musical. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's Peppermint and that's um, Black Women on Broadway. Follow both of those Instagram accounts. Nice. Yeah. I do love Peppermint. Thank you for talking about that. No worries. 
All right, Theatre Explained. Yeah. Ta-da! What are we talking about today? We're talking about stage types. Ooh, so fascinating, Reed. Miss Emmett, can you talk to us about stage types? You know I can. So we probably mention this offhand a lot, but there are lots of different types of stages yeah. in the theatre. And each of them sort of have a different look and a different function and are used differently. So I want to talk about sort of the main types. And they are, in my head, proscenium, thrust, in the round and avenue, I think are the most common. Do you have any others that you thought? I just, uh, you're going to have to remind me what an avenue stage yes. is. Oh, we could talk about a black box as well. Yeah. Is, is traverse like any of those? Um, yeah, traverse is the same as an avenue. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, then that's fine. Those were the ones I had written down too. Okay, so do you want to tell us about a proscenium? Okay, so a proscenium is probably the most common theatre type the most that common. people are used to seeing. Also the oldest type of stage. Yeah, yeah. And no, so, well, that's not true. That Like if we're talking about in what we know as modern theatre. Yeah, because you're yeah. like we're if talking about If you don't go back to Greek. Greek, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where it's like a natural auditorium, right? Yes, and that's stuff right. Like that. Um, but yeah, so proscenium um, has a frame between the stage and the audience Um we talk about it being the proscenium arch, but it's not always an arch, right? No, it's usually like it a rectangle. Be, yeah, exactly. But that is essentially what it is, right? Yeah. Like there's something dividing that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's almost considered like an invisible fourth wall. Like you have a very clear division between yourself and the audience in yeah. the proscenium stage. And then when you get to like a black box, for example, is just – it's just literally a black box of a yeah. stage. So there's no proscenium. It is a room It's just a room. Black. Yep, that's it. it. And it usually has the audience just on one side, yep. like in front. So it's similar to a proscenium in that the audience is just in front of the stage and nowhere else. Yep. But the main difference with the other stages is really where the audience is placed. So, for example, theatre in the round is where the audience is on all sides of the stage. Yeah. So the, it doesn't actually have to be round. It could be in squared. Fact, often they're not. Often right? they're not. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're in like, I don't know, sometimes when you're in a stadium yeah that will be theater in the round yeah and it's literally round um but yeah if you have audience on all sides that's theater in the round yeah a thrust is where you have audience on three sides I actually love the thrust is probably my favorite sort of stage it's very cool yeah very cool I like how immediate it is with the performers while still sort of yeah being quite a traditional yeah. format well, a lot of like big concerts are thrust stages yeah. usually like Beyonce uses a thrust a lot because yeah. she wants to go out into the audience you can also have like a proscenium with a thrust attached to it yeah. which then is called an apron yeah um, just so sort that, of attaching the apron to the front of the exactly yeah. to the front of the proscenium and then yeah like an avenue is usually where there's like audience on two sides so once on this island I think was an avenue um, the revival or the um, the revival. The revival was at Circle in the Square, which is normally a theatre in the round. But wasn't the two weren't the two sides blocked off? Like weren't there only oh, audience goodness. on? No, I think I think it was. I think so. The thing with Circle in the Square, quite a, we've talked about quite a few performances that have been there. Yeah, like Spelling um, Bee, Spelling Bee, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma revival. revival. I saw Fun Home there. Yes. Um, what they will often do is make it so it's like seven eighths of a circle, so that mm. there's like a ver- the very end of it. So it's kind of like a very so you can long still have oval. And exits. Yeah, so like the very end has a is blocked off, so that you can have that as an entrance and, and an exit. And yeah. often say like the band is back there or the orchestra. Yeah, there'll be like a wall. But I think once on this island, I think it was in the round. 
um, I didn't think it was – I didn't think the ends were blocked off actually. Oh, right. God, I could be misremembering. But So – and also like we've talked about the Sweeney Todd production that you saw in the pie shop is almost technically called a promenade. Yeah. Because where it the, takes place in sort of more than one more than location. One, yeah, right? and usually like the audience moves along with you. Yeah. So if you're a Catholic out there and you've ever seen like the Stations of the Cross when you move around with the Stations of the Cross, that's like a promenade stage. I saw like a – it's like the Cambridge Shakespeare Festival years ago and they did like a Midsummer Night's Dream and we yeah. moved to different very places common, like, in the park. I know Into the Woods has been done like that. Yeah. And yeah, lots of Midsummer Nights have been done like that. Yeah. Very, it's not very common. No, that's So right. I would say like proscenium, not even really black box, proscenium, thrust and theatre in the round. Are- I always loved the idea um, – my university it was before I was there but apparently they did a production of Noises Off and of course Noises Off if you know the the play is set sort of um the first act you sort of seeing the play and the second act you're seeing sort of what's happening behind the scenes it's like a classic farce lots of doors and so they had um the audience sat on one side of the set for the first act and then there was seating on both sides of the set and so in the second act they saw literally the backstage and what happened there so in other words like it's set up like avenue or yeah, traverse yeah. but you're only sitting on one side for each act that's interesting mm. i think that almost takes away some of the magic of what farce is yeah actually. interesting like if you as the audience have to just physically move I don't yeah know. i didn't see the production so i can't comment on how effective it was but mm. i i thought it was a cool idea yeah sure yeah yeah uh that's been theater explained yeah um, do you have some recommendations? This I week? do. I've actually I have two. Yeah. One of them you sent me this morning. It's oh yeah. The, the Hamilton cast <laughs> paying tribute to a chorus line's um 40th anniversary at the what is it the at the public public yeah. Oh my god. So <laughs> being a huge a chorus line fan and being a Hamilton fan as well, Ruth sent me this video this morning and I cry like I just cried because <laughs> it's like at the end of at the end of one production of like one performance of Hamilton the whole cast comes out and is like Lynn's like oh it's the it's the 40th anniversary today of, of a chorus line opening here in this very theater and we'd like to pay tribute and then they sing like they sing the end of um, I, I Hope did, I Get It yeah. and then they sing What I Did for Love and then they call up all the original cast onto the but stage. But also like it's just the ensemble members of I Hamilton know. singing, like it's not the leads. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Yeah, so if you've like just recently watched Hamilton on Disney Plus and yeah. you're like newly ensconced in the Hamilton nerdery, like definitely watch Definitely watch it. So yeah, that's one of mine. And the other one is this like cool podcast I've been listening to called Broad Wasted. Oh yeah. Yeah, which is really cute. It's just like... It's basically like these three theatre nerds, um, they're performers who chat about a particular topic while they're getting wasted. Yep. And the topics are really cool. I do enjoy that there's so many theatre podcasts that are just people drinking. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like it says a lot about us as a community, it doesn't really it? It really does. You must be the only one who doesn't I'm drink. I'm sorry. You're so boring. I know. No, actually we don't endorse drinking here <laughs> on this podcast. Ruth, what are your recommendations? Um, so I briefly mentioned them in last week's episode, but like Patty Lapone's memoir. Oh, my God. Uh, like – if you haven't read it, I just you say she dishes in forgot. it. Forgot she dishes hardcore, oh, like so much about like her big feud with Andrew Lloyd Webber, oh, and God. she's really brutally honest about a lot of things. Like she calls, I can imagine she would. There's a great be. story where she calls her pool the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Pool oh, when she sued them after um after because they. He put paid Glenn for Close it. into Sunset Boulevard instead of her, even though she had a contract. Oh my god! Yeah, so she calls it the Angelo Webber Memorial Pool. <gasps> There's some really great stories in there. Um, so even though I don't love her as a performer, she's a proper badass. She's such a badass. I love that about yeah. her. She's a real broad. <laughs> yeah, she's a broad. <laughs> as <they> say. <laughs> Um, my other book is um, a kind of recommendation, just like a present idea for people. If you Ooh. have, if you're a theatre lover and you've got. Um, 
you need to buy a present for another theatre lover who has kids or something like that. There's this book called A is for Audra, Broadway's Leading Ladies from A to Z, A to Z, depending on what country you're in. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically, yeah, like a um, – Is it like an alphabet book? book? Yeah, and it goes through performers. like Bernadette and <gasps> like Megan Hilty and Stephanie J. Block and like one for every letter. Oh and God. it's like an illustrated kids book. Does it have to be for children? Can no, it you adult- can get it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's awesome. Um, that's cool. So, yeah, if that's a good present idea for I'm going to make my nephew grow up with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Do you have any apologies? No. Nah. No. Nah, fuck I'm everyone. Perfect. Well, no, I don't think anyone's utilised our Gmail. No. Email address. I don't even yet. know if I've checked it since I created it. I should probably do that. <laughs> okay, we'll check it. Maybe we have apologies, but I'm Email not aware us. of them. Tell us when we're wrong. What's our email address again? It's myfavoritemusical at gmail.com. Favorite with a U. Favorite with a U. Yep. Gmail.com with a A-I-L. <laughs> I love that you think people don't know how to spell Gmail. <laughs> well, what if they thought it was mail like man? They don't. Okay. <laughs> want to tell us about a musical today? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to tell you about a musical. <laughs> okay, my musical today is A New Brain by William Finn. Ugh. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Okay, so A New Brain. I've never seen a production of this show. I have, but it wasn't very good. Yeah, I did know that about you. (laughs) I think it's actually probably a good thing because I didn't see this production that you saw, so I didn't fall out of love with it. I fell in love with this show literally the second I started listening to the original cast recording, like just the second that I listened to it. I think if you out there in the world will too when you listen to it. So the plot, this show is – so it's – Music and lyrics by William Finn, same guy who wrote Spelling Bee, wrote Falsettos, um, book by James Lapine. Am I, am I pronouncing that correctly? Ooh, I know what our crossover is today. Oh, cool. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, book by James Lapine, a really nice pairing, I think, actually. They yeah. previously collaborated on Falsettos. And as you would know if you've listened to this podcast, James Lapine is a longtime collaborator of Stephen Sondheim. So he's a pretty cool dude. The show has quite a small cast. It's like it's also a really contained musical, I would say, like in terms of time and space. Yes. It's, it's really got like not not a huge sort of big set, not much of a set change, you know what I mean? Like it's quite a contained musical in that way. There are only 10 actors and 11 characters because one of the one of the actors doubles up as a waitress and a nurse. So it's quite a and small no one, show. no ensemble, right? No ensemble. Yeah, just no. everyone's a character. Yeah, everyone's a character and, yeah, there's only 10 actors that's kind so, of William Finn's thing, isn't it? It totally is. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't think of I can't think of a show of his no, that really has yeah. an ensemble. No. I love that about his shows actually. So the basic plot is pretty much like there's a songwriter whose name is Gordon Schwinn. He's trying to meet all these deadlines for this autocratic children's entertainer who he works for called Mr. Bungie. And over lunch with a friend at the very beginning of the musical, he passes out and is rushed to hospital. Um, he's eventually diagnosed. Um, with like a pretty serious illness that I'll talk about in a second and there are lots of like funny friends and family characters that come in and out of the hospital sing all these amazing songs throughout um he recovers from some pretty serious health issues and surgery and bam that's pretty much it like that's Mm. a really simplified version of the plot the main themes though are really like Gordon dealing with obviously his mortality and like the stresses of writing for other people and not writing the songs that he maybe wants to write himself um, those are the main themes. And then there's like his relationship with his mum and his relationship with his partner, Roger, and yeah, a couple of other bits and pieces in there. But that's the main thing. So interestingly, this 
show. Well, actually, William Finn is known for writing like mainly autobiographical yeah. works. Like pretty much everything that he's written is autobiographical like, in some except way. Except for Spelling Bee. Except for really. Spelling Bee, yeah. yeah. Um, this show is his most autobiographical. Yeah. Like it, it directly mimics like a part of his life. So here's the background. Basically in 1992, Bill Finn began suffering from deteriorating vision, dizziness and partial paralysis. He was diagnosed with arteriovenous malformation mm. or AVM in his brainstem. Wow. So oh, I did a little bit of research into it and this I actually didn't fully understand the disease. All I know is that this particular, so once again, it's arteriovenous malformation can occur in any part of your body and for Bill Finn it occurred in his brain. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it can be like it's life-threatening. It's a pretty serious illness. And so Bill Finn had to undergo pretty serious brain surgery involving a gamma knife, which is like radiation. Mm. Um, he recovered, but he said he felt like he had a new brain afterwards. Yeah. Like he just like it was a completely life-changing experience. He then straight after that recovery began writing songs to record his health issues. So just about his experience. And basically those songs were then turned into like a concert that was produced um, at the public theatre. So it was just a concert to begin yeah. with. Then a fully staged workshop production was held in 1996. So just for context, all of his health issues happened in like 92. He gradually wrote these songs and then it was like the concert in um, about 95. Then it started to be staged in 96. It was then again staged in 97 and that's when James Lapine came in and like had contributed some of the book yeah. by then. <clears throat> Sorry, this like jelly top chocolate is like... <laughs> coating my throat but I love it so after that 97 workshop it was picked up and produced off Broadway at the Lincoln Center it began previews in May 1998 and closed in October 98 yep so that was off Broadway not a huge run but it's generally considered to be Bill Finn's like least successful show least yeah I guess that makes sense it never had a Broadway run no and as and also hear, for like Lincoln Center they're normally just they book it in for a certain amount of time and that's how long it runs for yeah that's right like it's sort of yeah, just yeah contained yeah yeah so it's also sort of saying a lot that this is his least successful show. yeah absolutely this is a great show critics were very meh about it though yeah, most just said it was actually too sappy. Like, I sort of get why. Obviously, Bill Finn wanted to celebrate his successful surgery and so the show gets pretty cheesy at times. One critic actually said, and I quote, happiness is a much blander muse than anxiety, end quote, <laughs> which is actually a pretty fair point yeah. to be like, to be honest. But I think there are some really insane moments of gravity and beauty in yeah. the show. Like, the mother character, oh, my God. And, like, Roger has these beautiful moments while Gordon's sick. Like, yeah. And I will say, like, to me the score is the thing that is beautiful about the show. Totally. Like, that is what I love about well, it. So, interestingly, I was reading Bill Finn. There was a quote from Bill Finn where he was like, most musicals sort of live or die off their score. Mm. And the really great musicals also need a really good story. And mm. the implication was that he thought this musical had an awesome score and an awesome story. And most critics disagree. disagree they said yeah. the music is really good but the story is what lets it down yeah it's almost like if he died that yeah. would have been a better story yeah and I think most of the critics said they just felt like they were watching 
someone else's happy moment that they didn't really understand or get to be a part Mm. of. So it was just like watching someone else's birthday party when you're like, well, that's a nice moment and I see it, but I don't feel it. It sort of reminds me of, you know how when we were just talking about jukebox musicals before, there seems to be this thing where obviously a really common jukebox musical trope is that it's a biog, like it's a bio of their their life and whatever. And the problem is that some people, some artists, some bands have just not had that much dramatic tension in their lives that even though their songs are great it doesn't matter because where's the you know like where's the crux of the tension yeah there was the complication exactly yeah exactly so so true yeah it's interesting well I think and like I obviously understand this moment for Bill Finn was like incredibly life-altering and so of course he would make a show about it but yeah for for people watching maybe it wasn't that it wasn't that yeah. critical or a lot of people said they, were, they felt like they were watching like a medical docudrama at times and then at other times like a really sappy, like soapy, yeah. which is really interesting because that's not how I perceive the show, but I guess it's fair, like yeah. it's valid. Um, so the show is not really particularly produced much. No. It's done a bit by like amateur groups and stuff. Well, yeah, right? like it had its original off-Broadway run. Then it had a few goes at like prestigious regional theatres in the States. Like it it was at New Line Theatre in Missouri, which is a fairly well-known yeah. sort of regional theatre. Had a go at UC Berkeley like as a college production. It then went to the Edinburgh Film Festival in 2005. Fringe? A uh, Fringe, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, why would it go to the film festival? <laughs> it went to the Fringe Festival in 2005. It premiered in the UK in 2006 in West Sussex. Okay. Um, it's had a few amateur runs in Australia, but nothing pro. Like, yeah. It's just not. I think Scorbologic did it years ago. I never saw it, but oh, I'm really? pretty sure they did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, like when I say, I mean years and years ago. Yeah, yeah I, I did it. Like I did quite a comprehensive search. I could only find like one sort of pro-am production in Melbourne. Yeah. So that was like, that was it. So it then had an encore stage concert run in 2015. Yeah, which I actually just kind of missed. So did like, I. Until that cast recording existed, yeah. I was like, hang on. I was the same. I was like, oh, what? I just yeah. didn't even know that yeah. it was happening. So that was a pretty major cast too. Yeah. Like, that was a bit of a coup. So it starred Jonathan Groff as Gordon and Dan Fogler as Mr. Bungie. Yeah. A whole lot of other people obviously. Well, Christian Ball is Roger, isn't he? Well, he wasn't actually in – he oh, was just in the recording. that's right. He's just on the recording. Yeah, yeah. but not – no, not um, not Roger. He's – who was he? He wasn't Roger. Okay. Was someone else ran – no, he was um, Mr. Bungie on the recording because okay. Dan Fogler was doing like recording a film I think. Well, he would have been doing um, Harry like, Potter, right? Wouldn't he have been doing Fantastic Beasts? I think Frozen was 2015, wasn't it? Are you thinking of Josh Gad or Dan Fogler? Oh, Josh Gad. No, yeah, Dan Fogler, that's right. Yeah, it would have been Fantastic Beasts, I suppose. Anyway, so, um, yeah, that that recording is available on Spotify, that Encore's cast, but so is the original. And I think you should listen to the original. Yeah, I do think the original is still superior. It's still superior. So the reason is I think the original cast is just better on the whole. Yeah. Um, The cast includes Malcolm Getz as Gordon. Penny Fuller as Gordon's mum, Mimi. You might remember, is Malcolm Getz the one that was in like Caroline in the City? Or it like, was Caroline yeah, in the City, Yeah, exactly. I used to love that sitcom back in the 90s. You would know his face if you saw him and I think you'd be surprised by his voice because it is beautiful. And he also was in the original cast of Falsettos, I he think, He was, right? correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Kristen Chenoweth is the nurse and the yes. waitress. Um, that was so, if you think about the timing, that was before You're a Good Man, Charlie yeah. Brown, which was sort of before her big breakthrough. Yeah. Um, my favourite, Chip Zen, is Mr. Bungie. Yeah. Who I love, obviously. Everyone loves him. Chip Zen, I think. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
Although he wasn't in the original cast, Norm Lewis is Roger on the recording. Oh, he wasn't in the original cast. No, he wasn't. But he oh, was, again, I just assumed he was. I know, of the and he's so divine. Oh like, God, oh my I God, love his voice. Oh. So, what the Encore's recording has going for it is it features like a few more musical moments that aren't included in the original cast recording. It's about 15 minutes of extra content that that just didn't make it to the original cast recording. So that's the only thing I think it has going for it. Is, is the show mostly sung through? It's, it, there's a lot, like it could be, no, it's not sung through, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of singing and a lot of really short songs. Yes. Yes. Like most of Bill Finn's shows, to be honest, but still book. There's still book. So yeah, technically a book musical. I think, because I was listening to the Encore's cast recording and I just think Malcolm Getz is a much better Gordon than Jonathan Groff. Yeah. And I love Jonathan Groff. Like yeah. I really do, but I think Malcolm Getz just has a really beautiful voice. He's also like a very sort of deep actor, I yeah. feel like. Whereas yeah. not Jonathan Groff is a great actor, but it's just a bit different. It's just a I different. Think. He yeah. also just seems really young to me in comparison. I agree. Whereas I think Malcolm Getz has that like a bit more gravitas maybe. Mm. Yeah, so, and obviously Norm Lewis, like, come on. Yeah. Uh, I, and I actually want to ask you about this. Yeah. I don't know how I came to find this show so young. Yeah, I, I'm i wondering if it was just that this was one of those shows that when we were teenagers that just musical theatre nerds who were teenagers were obsessed with. Well, I think that must be it because when I, when I do some research, it's not really a very well-known show at no. all. And I think... Like, I love it so much. It's really largely unknown outside the theatre world. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people would have heard of Spelling Bee, for example. I think they would have heard of that. Yeah. You know, when production companies put it on. But A New Brain is just, it's so niche. Yeah, it is niche. So, I think if you're a theatre nerd, you'll be like, yeah, of course, A New Brain. I just don't think it's that way mm. in, in the wider world. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, most theatre nerds I really know are very familiar with it. But it's rarely But again, produced. it might be one of those ones that's like, people our age are but like well yeah I wonder. the young ones I, I do don't wonder think so. about that I think it's like parade like that mm. this is I mean it's the same vintage as parade but it, but neither of them got their like Broadway runs and they have really successful cast recordings yeah so I don't know like and again it just would have been one of those cast recordings that got passed around yeah. between us all like we just copied the cd for each other yeah someone bought it from fish music in sydney exactly and then we all happened. copied it for each other well i'm just really grateful that it happened because now i realize it's probably a bit of a fluke that yeah. we know it at all yeah um because yeah i haven't seen it um gateway songs yes this is hard i think i actually say that for every single show ever it's hard to find gateway songs. I love listening to the whole recording and I don't skip any songs. Yeah. That's pretty rare. I do think that there are some songs that are more accessible than others. Definitely. So I think I've chosen them. Well, these are the ones I think you can disagree and actually I want you to verbally yeah. disagree with me. <laughs> what I finally decided, if you don't know the shows, you should listen to Heart and Music. Definitely. Um, it's already actually featured on one of our mixtapes. I think I featured it on like the Ensemble Numbers mixtape, okay. I think. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Actually, surprisingly, it's quite early in the show. Yeah. It sounds like an act one closer, but it's like the fourth song in the show. Yeah. Which is fascinating. But um, yeah, it's beautiful. The other one I think is Sailing, yeah, which is sung definitely. by Roger. Gordon's well, Sailing partner. is one of those songs that's done quite often as a male, like a, yeah. a performance It's a song. standalone. Like yeah. you don't need context for it, I think. Yeah. Um, so Sailing is beautiful. And the last one I think should be And They're Off. Yep. 
I would agree with those three. I love And They're Off so much. Yeah. I've put the original cast recording for all three songs in the playlist because it's just better. Yeah. Um, some special mentions though, these are the ones I was toying with, were An Invitation to Sleep in My Arms, yep. which is the song just before um, Gordon's about to go into surgery. And there's like a lot – I think it, it actually what that song does is give a really clear snapshot about what the show is and, and some different characters because yep. there's multiple characters in it. Um, it's also got a bit of the playfulness of the rest of the show. And one of my fave love stories like um, in musical theatre is Gordon and Roger. Yeah. Because you don't often get like a relationship that's already sort of established in musical theatre. Yeah. But this is an established relationship with like normal relationship problems. Yeah. I really love that. I think also that William Finn writes incredibly lovely and grounded um, like homosexual relationships. Yes, I totally agree. Like both in falsettos, both the lesbians and, you know, the two leads. Like yeah. I think it's really, yeah, it's really great. I think like and we talk about this with people of colour and like, you know, when you know something that intimately, you're just able to write about it so much more truthfully. Yeah. So, like Will William Finn is, um, he's a gay man, so he's yeah. able to write these these love stories so beautifully. Yeah, and interestingly, so though, like I would say that there are a lot of gay men who write for musical theatre, and I don't think that they've achieved that. No, that's true. Like, or, yeah. or that they're not willing to go there maybe like like that's what I love maybe about William Finn is he's always willing to go there yeah well because he does write really about what he knows super honest yeah yeah, yeah well, that, it's one of my favorite things about this show is that relationship between Gordon and Roger um my personal favorite song from the whole show though which I haven't put on the gateway playlist but yeah. you need to listen to is the music plays on yeah it's sung by Mimi that's Gordon's mother um, I'm actually saving this song for a mixtape in yeah. the future. I know it will come up because it's fucking beautiful. Yeah. I think it's just the most beautiful song ever. Yeah, right. Oh, I love it so much. I can't wait to be old enough to sing it. Yeah. <laughs> I always loved um, sitting becalmed in the lee of Cully oh, Yeah, I, I just, love that. I just love that phrase. I even love. Which is, is that as he's going in for the MRI? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just before, because he has like um, claustrophobia. Yeah. Doesn't want to have an MRI. Yes. There's, there's lots of fun ones. Like I like Gordo's Law of Genetics. Yes. That's really good. And and as with all his shows, the vocal arrangements are excellent. excellent. Like the harmonies and everything oh, are yeah. great. And because it's such a small cast, you really hear like you've got one actor singing that harmony line. So exactly. it's really sort of highlighted. Yeah. It doesn't get lost in 40 voices. Yeah. Yeah. It's excellent. just a really special show. I agree. That's I a agree. new brain. Amazing. Mm. It is, I, do, I do think about a lot of these um, shows that – you know, were particularly popular amongst us when we were younger and there weren't that many of them because no. we didn't have the internet like we do now. Yeah, we just had like a core group of shows yeah, that and we it loved. was like that and you obsessed over those shows yeah. and and I do sort of worry that like I are mean the, like it's great that it's them? democratized now and everything, yeah. but it's just kind of like how do people find things and are they all obsessing over the same things and and I mean I guess they are, but yeah, yeah, but is everyone just obsessing over Dear Evan Hansen? Yeah, yeah like, I know. Which, like, to be fair, like... Is the equivalent of also, what we were doing. Yeah, We were also obsessing over shows that were, the you equivalent. know, whatever had come out on Broadway. Like Rent, for example. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, it's just an interesting thing. Yeah, and yeah. again, yeah, it's like that original soundtrack came out in whatever year. Yeah, it was like 98. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're so old. Anyway. So old. Um... What are you going to talk about? I am going to talk about our first show that has never played in New York. Oh, my god! Yeah. 
I am going I'm to talk about racking my brains. The Hunchback of Notre uh, Dame. Of course. Notre Do you Dame. say Notre Dame? I, I, uh, sometimes it's like I hear Americans talk about Notre Dame. Notre, Notre, Dame. Notre Dame. If I was American, I'd say Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Because they're wrong. <laughs> so um, wrong. So I have always loved the Disney animated film of Hunchback, like ever since I was a kid. Can I tell you a secret? Do you hate it? I've never seen it. Oh, really? I've never seen you the Hunchback. You have Disney Plus now. You can watch it. I do. You Thank got you, Disney Hamilton. Plus for Hamilton, <laughs> so you can watch it. Um, yeah, Did you, you know they cancel their free trial thing, Disney Plus? Because of Hamilton? Yes. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> Um, so I've always loved this film since I was a kid. Yeah, wow. Um, Did it come out when we were kids? 96. Oh, okay. Yeah. So kind of like about the age that I would have watched it when it came out. Totally, yeah. Um, I have always loved the the choral music aspect to it, okay. which is just not a thing that's in musical theatre a lot. No. And I just, I've loved, I've always loved that music. Well, except for the sound of music, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but like that kind of really wall of sound yeah. aspect of it that just isn't in a lot of musical theatre you know, in like proper choral music. That's kind like of the thing. opposite of what a new brain is. Hey, yeah, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> I love a good choir. Yeah, like it's like pro- yeah, it's like a proper it's like, choir. It's like a it's like a spiritual moment. Yeah, when exactly. you hear a proper choir sing like Mozart's Requiem, holy shit! You know what song I've always loved is that Music of Heaven on Jason Robert Brown's oh, first yes. album. Um, so if you Jason Robert Brown, who obviously we love, his first album. Um, Wearing Someone Else's Clothes mm. is the name of the album. He has this song, Music of Heaven, that's yeah. basically about gospel like yeah. music. And it, yeah, it leads into this so beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've always loved that, like gospel, choral music. Like I've always loved that sort yeah. of music. Um, I was lucky enough to see the production that was at the Paper Mill Playhouse in 2015 when I was on a holiday to New York. I caught the train out. Where to, is the Paper Mill Playhouse? In, in New Jersey, in Melbourne, New Jersey, Milburn. Milburn. Like our version of Melbourne, Milburn, um, Milburn, Jeez. New Jersey. I caught the train out from New York. So it's about like, it's like 45 minutes on the train. It's not very far. Hmm. Um, I forget to, that Jersey is that far away. Yeah. Well, Jersey's, I mean, yeah, literally across the river. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it's like uh, caught the train out. So a lot of stuff like Newsies did their out of town try out there, for example. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Disney like it a lot yeah. um, as a, as a location. So um, yeah, caught the train out there and, and saw it um, when it was there. So I'm going to be specifically talking about the stage version of this musical, the English language stage version, and I'll sort of give a bit of context to that because actually there's lots of different Well, I mean, it's versions. such an old novel. Exactly. That, yeah. So the, the, the stage version that I'm talking about is music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, who also wrote the music and lyrics to the 1996 Disney animated film. The book is by Peter Parnell. Now, I don't know if that name rings a bell at all to you, but he wrote and produced on season one and two of The West Wing, so I thought I would let you know that. You know, it's funny because I can see the like the name in oh, writing the writing in the credits. <laughs> I figured as much. Um, and so specifically, the stage show is based on the 1996 Disney animated film, which is based on the 1831 <laughs> novel by Victor, Victor Hugo. Hugo novel, yes. And actually the stage show is still different from the film, also different from the novel, yeah, somewhere different. in between. Yeah. Like there's lots of different versions. Um, it's a great novel if you feel like reading it. World. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's set in the mid-1500s. Um, Claude Frollo is the archdeacon of Notre Dame and he's been raising – Quasimodo, who is his brother's child and was born deformed. So that's different from the book. Yes. Um, but that's – and actually, again, it's different from the movie as well. Like they they extrapolate on that in the stage show. Mm. Um, 
Quasimodo is the has sort of grown up to be the bell ringer of Notre Dame, and he longs to experience life outside the cathedral. The story is then that basically literally all the men in the story fall in love with this gypsy woman called Esmeralda. Um, And Frollo basically has the city burnt down trying to hunt her down. Um, And at the end of the story, uh, this is the stage show. Her love interest, Captain Phoebus, is the only one left alive. Like everyone Everyone fucking dies. dies. Yes, everyone dies. Yeah. Um, It's like I will get into that more, but it is (laughs) incredibly dark. Yeah. Um, why, why would Disney to yeah, anyway? Yeah. So we'll talk about that, but <laughs> the main difference between the movie and the stage show is the ending. So the movie has quite a happy ending where, course, um, yeah. literally like Frollo is the only one who dies mm-hmm. in the film. As far as spoiler for when you see the film. That's how, um, when, yeah. Yeah. Um, the stage show is closer to the novel in that sense. It's basically like the same people die that are in the novel. Um, and they also cut to so in the film, there's kind of like, you know how every Disney film to like appeal to the younger kids has like the wacky token um comedy Animals. characters yeah, yeah so in yeah. this case they're gargoyles yeah yes and it's often there is like she Especially has a little sort of a wacky goat kind of thing as yes. well so it doesn't or speak but or, yeah yeah um but so the gargoyles like jason alexander voices one of them and yeah it's, nice yeah so the stage show cuts those because they are kind of hokey yes um and yeah, so the Disney movie was already very dark for a Disney film. Like even even when you be. even when you give it a happy ending and all this stuff, it's very dark. It's still about people yeah. who are ostracized, right? Like um, you can't avoid that. Yeah, exactly. And so the stage show is even darker than that. Mm. So th- then <clears throat> what you need to know is that the movie comes out in 1996. In 1999, um, the musical in Berlin, Der Glückner von Notre Dame, premieres in Berlin. And that is a German production of a stage show of the Disney film. Oh, right. Yeah, that um, had a book by James James Lapine. Wow. Um, and that's our connection for today because I wasn't thinking Tenuous, about that. Tenuous as yeah. fuck. Yeah. And he also directed it. Okay. And that ran in Berlin for three years. It was very successful in Berlin. Wow. Um, it was originally rehearsed in English. Can you speak German, James No, Lapine? so it was rehearsed in English oh, right. and then retaught to everyone in German. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I literally wrote like, I need to hand in my nerd license because so many of the songs that I just assumed were written for the the version that was on in 2014, 2015, like the version I saw was written for that Berlin production, Berlin production and have existed since 1999. Yeah. Wow. Like made of stone. That's like the 11 o'clock number that I love. It's a beautiful number. It was fucking, it was German. Like (laughs) I just assumed it was new. They did write a bunch of new songs um, for that. So um, the English language production. So then like from 1999 to 2014, like nothing's really happening. Or sorry, 2002 when Berlin closes, like you can't license that version or anything like that. Like it's just Hunchback doesn't exist as a Disney stage show for those years. Yeah. So then in 2014, um, a version with an English language version with a new libretto opens at the La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego. Um, and it's in October, 2014 and then paper mill playhouse in New Jersey in March, 2015, which is when I saw it. Um, it runs for a month at paper mill, but they announced that it's not going to move to Broadway. Um, and it closes after that. Um, so 
Both of those two productions feature a 19-person cast and then a 32-person choir. Nice. So it's like a com- in both cases they work with like a local choir yeah. um, and they are they appear in the show kind of thing. It's almost like that very traditional way of staging a musical where you have like separate, like yeah. there's a separate cast yeah. for this thing. It's like the leading players and yeah. then the singing ensemble yeah. basically. Yeah, that's, that's a very traditional sort of yeah. golden age thing to do. Um, and I assume maybe the choir weren't being paid or not being paid nearly as much is probably part of it as well. Yeah, sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you're not in the ensemble. Kind of know. also like how you would do Joseph and the Amazing – like a lot of the yes. professional productions of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat feature a children's choir and yes. they would work with local children's choirs. Um, both of those English language productions were directed by Scott Schwartz, which is Stephen's son, who directs a lot of his um, stuff now. Like he directed he? The Prince of Egypt, West End. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently a very good director. Um, and so also just to be clear, this is this is not the same show as Notre Dame de Paris, the very successful French musical that's also based on Victor Hugo's Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay. So lots of people will have also heard of that show. So it this was is a like very successful party. French musical. It is a little bit, except that Hunchback's a pretty famous book. Yeah. Um, there's also a possible new live action film happening based on the Again, based on the film, the original 96 film and the Victor Hugo novel, but not this stage musical version that Disney's doing. So Josh Gad has signed on as one of the producers and he's possibly playing Quasimodo. But like also nothing's nothing's been announced on it in a while. That was like at the beginning of last year that they announced that. Um, I wonder if it's because Disney's live action remakes are terrible. Like I wonder (laughs) if that's the reason. I still – not seen any of them. The really? Musical, well, the musicals. Oh no! Like you I haven't seen Jungle Aladdin Book. or I saw Jungle Book. Oh, I did. Haven't seen the Lion King. I haven't seen Beauty and the Beast. I haven't seen the Lion King. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, mm. I lied. I have seen two of them. Wait a second. Here we go. Oh, um. So this is. I literally put this in just for you. This has kind of actually got nothing to do with it. There was Ready? a 1997 TV movie adaptation of The Hunchback of Notre Dame called The Hunchback, <laughs> starring Mandy Patinkin as Quasimodo and what? Salma Hayek as Esmeralda. He's too beautiful for Quasimodo. <laughs> There's no singing in that. It's just an adaptation of the novel. Salma Hayek would be an excellent Esmeralda. Wouldn't she? Yeah. yeah. Um, so interestingly, um, there's a couple of songs that were written for the film, but cut for time, which is like really common. Like you might notice that in the Aladdin stage musical, there's several songs that were still had lyrics by Howard Ashman. Oh yeah. Yeah. But weren't in the movie. Yes. And it's because they were written for the film, but didn't get to be included. And yeah, they're in the stage show now, for example. I like that. So in this case, the two songs, um, in a place of miracles, which is in the, in the musical and also the song someday, um, were, so someday in particular was is like played at the on over the credits at the end mm, of the film, nice. and lots of different what they would get to do is like a local artist would um, cover it and they would release it as a single like they often do with Disney films. So yes. the one that's playing over the credits is a US R and B group called All for One, and they released it as a single in the UK. The all female um, trio Eternal released it and it hit number four in the UK charts and number twenty seven here. And you actually probably wow. would recognise that version. And Eternal, you might know, they sang a song called I Want to Be the Only One that was quite popular. And also they did the original Angel of Angel of Mine, oh, which yeah, Monica yeah. covered. Yeah, got yeah. it. Um, yeah, they were big. Yeah, they were quite big. Yeah, yeah like I remember, I remember that I Want to Be the Only One was a big song. Yeah. Um, and um, that song then is taken and it's the love duet in the stage musical. So Esmeralda and Phoebus sing it yeah, nice. um, together in the stage show. 
And then so there's been two professional regional productions since um, that original uh, the sorry 2014 2015 productions that have really embraced the idea that Quasimodo has been sent deaf from ringing the bells, which is like part of the novel and is touched on in the show. Mm. And so, like when I saw it, so Michael Arden played Quasimodo, oh, and he is voice. incredible. He's like otherworldly, otherworldly. Like no, those notes, but uh-huh. not just that. Like he's such a good actor as well. Yeah, and oh, it's just amazing. And. In a, so when he spoke, he spoke with quite slurred speech as if he was like had some hearing issues. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Michael Arden, a lot of people might know, was the director of the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening. So he's been very aware of, um, you know, the rights of deaf performers and things like that nice. for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so these regional productions, um, there have been two different ones where – They've had a deaf actor playing Quasimodo and then another performer um, uh, provides the voice of Quasimodo when he sings. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so the the deaf actor um, uses sign language and, um, yeah, and then there's this, has a singing voice, which is exactly how like Spring that. Awakening kind of was. Yeah. Like you have the voice of the character yes. and then the person playing the role. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, and I, and there's some really great clips, particularly from I think it's the Fifth Avenue Theatre in Seattle yeah. released quite a few clips of, of it happening and, um, yeah, it's really great. Nice. Um, so, yeah, so it didn't move to Broadway um, as, as I mentioned and I, I wanted to talk about that for a, sec- a second, just this idea that um, a show has to have played Broadway or the West End for it to be a successful Worthy, show in yeah. people's eyes. Like, yeah. like I, I just wanted to touch on that for a second because, for example, I don't think it's necessarily – I mean, as much as I would have loved to have seen a Broadway production of this, I also understand the commercial decision for a, a company like Disney mm. to not want to do a show in which literally everyone dies. Yes. Um, of course. Yeah, like that, they, they are a f- – They can't put friendly. their name to that. Yeah. yeah, and like as much as we say it doesn't matter, it should be about the art and stuff like that, it's like, well, th- they – didn't feel economically it was worth it when they can still license this um production yeah this production and yeah. have it have an and like they might still feel like well it we still feel like the same amount of people will license it to do it in an amateur production mm. schools than yeah. would anyway so that saves them the 20 million dollars or whatever it would cost them to put on the musical but just imagine like you're a parent and you see that there's a there's disney's hunchback of notre dame is yeah. on on broadway you would take your kids and go like what the actual fuck is this like they can't necessarily, they can't do that. And you know? I also think that we're also talking about Disney like now, like in the last five years, whereas like Aida, which is actually quite dark as yes, a show. Yes, it is quite dark. That's not the sort of thing they do now. No. Like they've become a much more family focused company, I think, in that time. Yes, I agree. And um, I think what a lot of people criticise is that it sort of seemed like they picked Frozen over Hunchback as uh, a stage show, which I'm sure is not true. Well, there's like, not really surely any comparison Frozen was for the purpose. No, and it's like sh- Frozen was happening for the stage anyway. But, like, if you look at their track record of recent stage shows, Hunchback doesn't fit. No. It just doesn't fit in there. No. And, and to them it's like they can still have Hunchback as part of their, like, arsenal of shows mm. and not have arsenal. it have been on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> what? Sorry, you said ass. Oh yes, arsenal. Hmm. It has the word ass in it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, I'm sad for those performers that maybe thought it was going to go to great Broadway performers and it, and it in that production. But like, yeah, yeah, I just I can see why it didn't. Yeah. Um, but I, you're right, though. Broadway is not the be all. 
Well, no. And I look, I think that one of the reasons that people aim for it is because it will extend the life of its life beyond Broadway. Yeah, certainly. Um, and But they still made a cast recording. Mm. They, they still have the name of the Disney film. They're still Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. So I don't think they needed that Broadway like label for yep. it to do what it needed to do. I agree. Um, well, we're talking about it. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because like in reviewing it again this week, um, I realised how much it's just about a bunch of dudes trying to fuck Esmeralda. A 16-year-old girl. Well, she yeah, they don't play her as 16 in the show. But in the yeah. book she is. Yeah, she's 16. Well, also he's only 19 in the book, isn't he? He's 20, like I think. Yeah. Quasimodo, like, that is. Yeah, Quasimodo. And also, like, fuck a girl who's probably related to Frollo, like, because <laughs> it, it's, like, revealed that isn't, wasn't she swapped at birth with Quasimodo I, by the I gypsies? I don't know if that's in the show. All right, yeah, yeah. Okay. From the book, anyway. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, like. Yeah, and the, all. All of them just taking advantage of her It's all just like toxic way. masculinity. Like There's no redeeming factors of yeah. really any of the male characters. Yeah. yeah, it's like Quasimodo has a bit of an awakening about wanting yeah. to be her friend. Pretty instead. late. Pretty late. It's it's pretty, yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was just like, wow. Like, And because and the stage show really makes it, because the movie kind of plays down this idea that Frollo's just trying to fuck her. Like it's more just that's all it is. It's He's more like just obsessed. like he hates gypsies. Like that's more the the focus. Yeah, no. Whereas in the in the stage show, it's like no, no, he wants to rape her. That's all that they want. Yeah, and even like what is it, Phoebus? Phoebus, yeah. Well, he doesn't even give a fuck about her either. No, really. <laughs> Poor Phoebus in the film has like six lines. Like it's nothing. Like he's such a small character in the film. <sighs> And it's more just like, oh, he didn't want to kill those people. Well, I guess I'm in love with him. Yeah. Well, because she's so kind-hearted. Yeah. Um, it was interesting reading some reviews of the show because I do agree that um, – because the way that they've done it now is that instead of just having those kind of three comedy gargoyles, mm. they've kind of got like a whole bunch of gargoyles that are the narrators kind of like yeah. singing about what's happening. And I can see how that – them sort of spelling out different things that are happening might take away from the theatricality a little bit. Too much exposition? Like a little bit too much. So in that sense, like more of a concert version I think works better than a full-scale production, which is kind of what like the paper – because if you've got a 32-person choir on stage as well – It's not a show. You can't do a lot of (laughs) staging, you know. Um, They were sort of over two levels sitting down and standing up when they needed to, like looking like a – cathedral choir yeah right um but basically yeah like you can't do a lot of staging when you have that amount of people on stage no of course yeah so I think that that kind of semi-concert version does work better Mm. when you're just sort of describing a lot of what's happening rather than um that so gateway songs um I've picked three um many of you will know the song out there beautiful as just like a stunning song, if, even if you've just seen the original film. I've, I've gone song. for the um, the studio cast album, which I'll talk about in a second in general for all of these, just because it's – Probably cleaner sound, Yeah, right? and just like beautiful orchestrations. Yeah. And I do prefer – as much as like I've got um, the original Quasimodo's singing voice in my head a lot of the time, I do prefer that real – like it's a more musical theatre sound. Who was the original? Oh, I'm going to forget his name. Um, I'll look it up. Yeah. Um, but he's a voice actor, Tom Holchi or something like that. Have a look anyway. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so I've gone for Michael Arden singing out there. Um, oh, I've, his voice. Yeah. I've oh. also gone for um, God Help the Outcast, which yeah, a lot of people will know. You might also know like Bette Midler did a cover, like a pop version of it that was released next to the film as well. Yeah, you're um, right, Tom Holchi. Yeah. So um, 
yeah, so I've gone for God Help the Outcast as well and also Hellfire, which is Frollo's big yeah. number. Um, You've got Pat- is that Patrick Page? It's Patrick Page yeah. who um, Josephine, of course, loves from Hades, Hades Town. Town. That's ha- he's um, the voice of um, Hades. That and Esmeralda is um, Ciara Renee. Yeah. And um, she – people might know her from um, – uh, well, you would know her. She was the witch in Big Fish. So if you've listened to the Big Fish cast recording, yes. she plays the witch. But also, sadly, she was um, she had just started as, in Frozen on Broadway as Elsa when, when COVID hit. Oh. And, of course, it's since closed. So she only got to do it for less than a month, um, which is really sad. Yeah, That's really sad. Yeah. So, yeah, she was only in it for like. Because she's be- she's got a great voice. Oh, such a good voice. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to sneeze. Okay. <laughs> oh, bless you. Thank you. There was some real dramatic tension going on with this. Sorry, news. everyone. Um, so on Spotify, um, there's sort of two that you can listen to. You can listen to the original film soundtrack, which is definitely worth a listen to just generally. Also, just watch the film. It's a great film. I'm um, going to. I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, there is this 2016, they call it a studio cast recording. So um, it's basically like the same – it's not exa- – I don't think it's exactly the same cast as we're in um, the La Jolla and the Paper Mill productions. Definitely all, like, the leads are the same, but I think maybe they, like, hired some singers specifically for it. There's still a choir and everything, hmm. um, and they sort of recorded it as part of it, but I don't think they could call it, like, the Paper Mill Playhouse cast recording or anything like that because I don't yeah. think it's exactly the same people. Yeah. Um, but so that is, of course, Michael Arden as Cosimoto, Patrick Page as Frollo, and Ciara Renee as – um, Esmeralda and Andrew Simonsky plays. Um, How do I know that name? Uh, I don't know. I, mostly I know who he is because he was on the Bridges of Madison County tour. Playing, oh, yeah, um, okay. Steve Pasquale's character. Mm. But, um, yeah, beautiful voice, beautiful voice. He's Phoebus. So, yeah, I will link to both of those on Spotify. And, um, yeah, that's Hunchback. Oh, wow. I've been inspired now because I love the book. Yeah. And I just think I never watched the Disney. You should definitely watch the film. I think I never watched it because I just, I don't know why. There's actually like a bootleg of the La Jolla version all on YouTube as well. Ruth, you criminal. I know. Yeah. Well, but, I love, you know, if yeah. you really want to see the stage version, it's there. Well, I love I love the cast recording. I think I'd listen to the studio. Yeah, I that's I, the one I, I, listen, what I to. listen to. Yeah. And the, oh, again, just that choral music is stunning. It's beautiful. So stunning. That's a nice one. Mm. I think that one's going to surprise some people when they listen to it. Yeah. I, if you haven't listened to it, like honestly, it is like go- – I mean, Alan Menken. Like yeah. I don't think – Ken We Wright. talked about Little Shop, but like, oh my God, I love Alan Menken so much. And I think – I think to a lot of people don't realise how much they love Alan yeah, Menken. Like exactly. when you look at his had, had his catalogue. Particularly like the Disney films. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Little Mermaid. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So yeah. that's Hunchback. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yay. And I actually really love like Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz together and they work really well together. Yeah. Which I just think is amazing. That is amazing. Like for Stephen Schwartz to just be happy to just write lyrics considering he's such a prolific. Composer. Like composer as well. Well, I guess if you've got Alan Menken saying, will yeah. you work with me, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. Love it anyway. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, um, like us and subscribe. <laughs> Please and like us. All that jazz. We have every Thursday we have a mixtape episode Indeed. that comes out. So have a listen to that. You'll see it pop up in your podcast app. Yep. And it's a little bone. It's usually like 15 minutes. Yeah. And these come out on a Monday. These and, come out every um, Monday. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Email us. Yeah, just tell us something. Yeah. 
tell us a story. I don't know. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Especially if we don't know you in person. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> We'd like the audience to be people more than we know in person. I mean, we love the people we know. Yes. Hello. Tell people you don't who don't know us about the podcast, please. <laughs> it's funny. All right, have a good week, Josephine. Yeah, you too, Ruth. Mm, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>